Hey, we can uh, celebrate that together. So good morning, everybody, and welcome to Epic. If you're new, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And as we begin, I want to ask you to do something that's going to sound a little strange. I want you to think of someone that you have been or you are currently jealous of. Doesn't that sound like fun? So think of somebody in your life that you've been jealous of. Could have been like many years ago. Could be somebody you're jealous of right now. Could be somebody you don't even know. Uh, Through technology and social media, there's a whole bunch of people out there that we can be jealous of and we don't even really know who they are. So think of somebody that you're jealous of. Got that person in your mind? If you don't, there's a whole bunch of us who are jealous of you. That's just not right for you not to have somebody you're jealous of. Most of us are jealous of somebody. Now, I want you to think what your jealousy has caused you to do. What has your jealousy caused you to do? Has it caused you to pull away from that person? Has it caused you to be critical of that person? Has it caused you to be critical of them to their face or maybe critical of them behind their back? What has your jealousy caused you to do? As you're kind of processing that fun thought, let me tell you how that applies to my life. So I have a friend in my life who's an amazing guy, just amazing in so many ways. And he, in his life, he's been super successful in athletics and high school and college. He's been successful as a, a business person and led several successful business ventures. And he's got this amazing personality that makes you want to know him. So when he walks into a room, everybody kind of perks up a little bit and turns and wants to hear what he has to say and leans towards him and wants to be his friend. I mean, he's, he's amazing. And I'm not talking about Jesus here. Uh, I'm really talking about, you know, a friend. Jesus is a friend of mine, but I'm talking about another friend of mine. And on top of all the amazing things that this guy has and does, he's over six foot tall. He has a, a full head of hair and he's a rather handsome guy. So... Uh, Yes. So Dick, yeah. Talking about you, Dick. So in comparison to my friend, you see what I have to work with here. So not exactly the same stuff. So what I noticed early in my friendship with this guy was that I started backing away from him. I was jealous of my friend. And so I started taking some steps back. And I'm like, man, he's like so cool and awesome. He always knows the right thing to say in every situation. And then there's bumbling idiot me. Like I feel like an idiot when I'm around him. So I stepped farther and farther away. And then I did this really sad thing. I started being critical of my friend behind his back. So if there was something my friend wasn't great at, I kind of found some sad pleasure in that. And I would tell people behind his back, you know what? He's great at so many things, but he's not so great in that area. And what was going on in my heart was I was jealous. And that jealousy made me feel a little bit better about myself. A really sad thing. And as I did that, I watched my relationship with my friend almost die. And that's the thing about jealousy is it can kill friendships. It can kill relationships. It can kill them figuratively and it can kill them literally like we'll learn today. Now, 
hold on to, to that thought, and I'm going to get back into this story, my story, in just a minute. But today we're in part two of our Christmas series. And in this series, what we're doing is we're exploring different emotions related to the Christmas story. And if you read through the Christmas story, you'll find all kinds of emotions. It's an amazing story to read. You'll find emotions like joy, like we were talking about last week. You'll find fear. You'll find confusion. You'll find jealousy. So they're all in the Christmas story. And we don't often highlight all those emotions. We tend to highlight just a few, the ones that make us feel good, the ones that make us feel like the Christmas story is a Hallmark movie. And yet the real Christmas story is far from that. There's all kinds of emotions related to this story. And so we're looking at those. And um, last week, we looked at the emotion of joy. And we saw that the angel showed up to the shepherds and said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. And last week, we talked about the reality, the sad reality, that many Christ followers do not live with the joy that we should live with. That Christ followers who should be the most joy-filled people around are often the most joyless people around. And so last week, I sent you out with kind of the mission to go search for joy in your life. A friend of mine texted me after the service this picture. Take a look at this, where he found joy. <laughs> so my friend found joy uh, on sale at Lowe's. I think it's on sale for like $695. So if you're looking for joy, you can go buy it there if you, if you want it. So today, we're going to look at how jealousy and fear fits into the Christmas story. And you might think, like, those two emotions don't seem like they, they go with that story, but they do. They play a major part in the, in the Christmas story and a major part in our story as well. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Verse 1 says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Now, let me pause there for just a minute, tell you a little bit about this King Herod who was ruling when Jesus was born. Well, Herod ruled in Israel from 37 BC to 4 BC. And Herod was known as the king of the Jews, but not really. You see, he was subject to Caesar and Rome. So Rome had conquered much of the world at that time. And what they did was they decided, we're going to put you, Herod, in charge of Israel. And as long as you follow the rules, as long as you pay your taxes, as long as you do everything we ask you to do, then you can stay on the throne in Israel. But if you don't, if you fight against us, if you don't pay your taxes and, and pay your tribute to us, if you don't do what we ask you to do, you will be kicked out of your kingdom and you will most likely be killed. So Herod lived with a constant fear that somebody was going to come along and take his kingdom from him. And that caused him to kill several of his children and to kill one of his wives. So he lived in constant fear, kind of a panic thing on a regular basis for him. Now, he was known as Herod the Great, but it wasn't because he was all that great. One of the things he was great at was building big things so that the world re would remember him. He wanted to be remembered as a great king. So he built some things that you can actually go and see today. So here's a, a few of those things. The first one is the port of Caesarea. 
So this is an amazing accomplishment that he had here. He took this little fishing village on the Mediterranean coast and turned it into this major port for trade with Rome and the known world. And uh, you can go there. A number of us several years ago from Epic, we went on a trip to Israel and we went there and we saw this amazing place. And we saw the arena that he had there for horse racing. We saw his palace that was right on the Mediterranean coast. And we even saw that Herod was, was such a lover of himself that he built an in-ground freshwater pool right on the Mediterranean Sea. And it's an amazing sight, and, and you can go there and see that. Now, here's another thing that Herod built. Now, from this view, this doesn't look all that impressive, but this is the Herodian. This is a palace that he built that was close to Bethlehem. And if you're standing in Bethlehem and you look across the landscape, you see this nice big hill. Well, this nice big hill was this palace, this man-made palace, man-made hill, just for Herod and his family to go to so they could enjoy the cool breezes in the summer months in Bethlehem. Now, it's interesting to me that we have Jesus born in Bethlehem in a manger, in a stable, in the shadow of the Herodian, in the shadow of a king who wanted to be known as the greatest king of all time. But the truth is, the greatest king of all time was born in a manger. And Herod couldn't stand the thought of that. Here's another thing that uh, Herod built. It's called the Fortress at Masada. So it's down in the Judean wilderness, which is like a desert area. It's close to the, the Dead Sea there. And it is a fortress built way high on the peak of this rock face. And there's only two ways in. One is known as the, the um, switchback entrance that goes up the front. Nowadays, you can ride, ride like a trolley car up there or a cable car that goes up there. And that's super fun when the wind's blowing and you're you know, swaying in it. It's, it's a little bit exciting. But a friend of mine and I, I think Rob's here somewhere. I don't know where Rob's at. But on our free day, there's Rob. So on our free day, we had a free day when we were in Israel. Rob and I rented a car and we went and we hiked that um, together. And that was an amazing experience to explore that. Well, here's the thing about this fortress. Herod could go to this fortress and hide in it for like two years without having to leave for food or water or anything. And so if he was under attack, he could run into this fortress and just hide there for several years. And at the top of this fortress, in the back corner, he's got a freshwater in-ground pool for himself. It's kind of cool to see. But those are some of the things that Herod built because he thought, I am such the greatest king. I'm a great builder. I want everybody to remember me. That's the king that was alive when Jesus was born. So verse one of Matthew two continues and it says, about that time, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. How do you think Herod felt about that? King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. So he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And listen to what Herod did in verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Did Herod want to do that? Absolutely not. Herod wanted to know where Jesus was so he can go and murder baby Jesus. But God intervened, God protected Jesus, and listen to verse 9. After their interview with Herod, the wise men went on their way. And the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now we're going to compare and contrast the wise men with Herod for just a minute. I think it's amazing we see these wise men coming from a far distant land, and they weren't jealous of Jesus. They didn't want to kill him. They wanted to come and worship him. So look at that contrast. We've got uh, Herod, who should have been eager for Jesus to come into his kingdom so he could introduce him to the world. But Herod wasn't. Herod was jealous. So God brought these wise men from a very far distant land. And these wise men, who were not Jewish, they came to worship the true king. And for me, that that just points to the overarching story of God that we find all through the Bible, we find in the Christmas story as well, that when a group of people rejects Jesus, God opens salvation to the entire world and says, I want everyone to come to me. I want everyone to come into a relationship with me that will last forever. And it reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. He said, I tell you this, that many Gentiles, and uh, Gentile is someone who's not a Jew, many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So again, when Jesus showed up, to a community that should have invited him and welcomed him in, and that community rejected him, King Herod rejected him, God invited people from all over the world to come into a relationship with him. If you're a Gentile, you should be so grateful that God did that. Now, verse 16 tells us what Herod did with his jealousy. So he's super jealous. He knows there's this newborn king of the Jews. He's probably going to come and take his kingdom away. So verse 16 says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. So he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. And Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for they are dead. 
So for us, we look at the Christmas story, again, it's kind of like a Hallmark moment, a Hallmark movie, and, and we have warm, fuzzy feelings. Think about the people in that first Christmas story. If you were a parent, you had a little boy, two years of age or under, that parent or that child was murdered because of this baby Jesus that was here, because of a, a king that was so jealous, he couldn't control his jealousy. That would have been a horrible experience for, for anybody to go through. Now, I tell you this story of Herod, and, and we're looking at this jealousy issue because I think it applies to our lives more than we realize. And you might be scratching your head this morning going, this is nice to hear about Herod, but how does this apply to me? Well, I'm about to tell you. Because we can battle jealousy just like Herod did. And hopefully jealousy is not going to cause us to go kill somebody, but it can cause us to kill relationships. Maybe you have killed a relationship or maybe you are killing a relationship just because of your jealousy. Maybe you're so jealous of someone like Herod and that jealousy has caused you to step away from that relationship. It's caused you to do some things that are not right, that are hurtful, that are wrong. And that relationship has died or is dying just because of your jealousy. In those moments, we are more like Herod than we should be, and probably more like Herod than we realize. And I wish that I could stand here today and tell you that I am so super spiritual that I don't battle jealousy, but that's not true. I battle jealousy just like anybody battles jealousy. And in preparation for this message over the past few weeks, I have recognized that I am battling jealousy in, in ways that I've not battled jealousy in a long time, and it's really kind of silly. So I'm like bumping into jealousy everywhere I turn, and I'm like, really? Like, this is crazy, God. Like, why am I dealing with so much jealousy? And then it dawned on me, oh, I'm about to talk about that at church. And what often happens for me is when I'm preparing something that I sense God wants me to teach you, God comes along and says, you got to learn it first. Super exciting. Love being in that spot. And so I've been working on uh, jealousy issues just in the past couple of weeks that have, have been not fun to work with. But I know God comes along and says, listen, I, I've got to work on this in your life as well as anybody else's life. So what I've decided to do in January is we're going to start a new series called How to Live as a Millionaire. And I would think God might teach me how to do that before I teach you how to do that. So I just thought that'd be a good deal, right? Does that sound okay? So January, How to Live as a Millionaire. Just kidding. We're not going to do that. All right, so I battle jealousy like everybody does. But here's, here's what I do when I recognize that jealousy's got a hold of my life. So the first thing is I confess that to God. So jealousy is a sin. Being jealous of somebody, envious of them, wanting what they have, wishing you were them, um, wanting something bad to happen to them be because you're jealous of them so you can feel a little bit better. That's all sin. So when I recognize that there's a jealousy issue in my life, I confess that to God and I say, God, I am sorry. I'm jealous of this person and I'm jealous of this reason so would you forgive me? 
Then I'm grateful for verses in the Bible like 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm grateful to know that when I confess my sin to God, God will forgive me for that. So I think first thing we all got to do is learn how to confess things to God, things that, that keep us from a stronger relationship with him and other people. Now, the next thing that I do is I confess my sin to someone else. Sometimes I'll even confess that to the person I'm jealous of. Not all the time, but sometimes. I did that with my friend that I was telling you about earlier. So one day I took him to lunch and over lunch I said, listen, man, we gotta have this awkward conversation, but I am jealous of you. And I need to ask your forgiveness. I've been jealous of you for so many reasons. And my jealousy has caused me to step back from you. It's caused me to allow our relationship to die in some context. And I am sorry for that. Will you forgive me? And my friend graciously forgave me. But you can imagine how awkward of a conversation that was. And my friend was like, uh, so am I supposed to do something different? Like what, like, what do I do? Did I do something wrong? Do you want me to change anything? And the reality was he hadn't done anything wrong and he didn't need to change anything. I'm the one who'd done some wrong. I just needed to confess it. And I sensed that God wanted me to confess that with my friend and I did. And, and I honestly have not battled jealousy with that friend since then. So I'm grateful for that. But I do not recommend you go around confessing that to every person you're ever jealous of. Can you imagine how busy you would be in your life? Oh, I better get on social media and tell just the whole world that I'm jealous. And you know, we could you know, make a full-time job out of that. So what I do recommend is confess that type of sin to another trusted person. We all need people in our lives that we can tell our sins to. And we can ask them to help us. And scripture tells us, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. It's James chapter five. So we need people in our lives that we can go and confess things to and say, listen, like I've got to tell you something that's hurting a relationship I'm in, hurting my relationship with God. I'm jealous of this person. And then ask the person we're confiding in to pray for us and to help keep us accountable to every once in a while, ask us questions about that. Hey, um, you know, a month ago, you'd mentioned you were jealous of this person. How are you doing with that? Are you doing okay? I have several men in my life that I spend regular time of confession with. Not just about jealousy, about anything that can hurt my relationship with God or other people. And I think we all need that. So we need to confess our jealousy issues to God. We need to confess that to other people. Every once in a while, God might lead us to confess that to the person that we're jealous of. And then another thing that I do is I start praying for that person. I start praying that God will bless the person I'm jealous of. And I pray that God will bless that person in ways that I wish I was blessed in my life. And I found as I'm praying for them, I found it really hard to be jealous of them. Like when I'm honestly praying for somebody else and I'm and before the creator of the universe and I'm saying, God, will you bless them immeasurably? I don't know, so, something just happens in that. Like the, the jealousy, the hold that it has in my life just really starts loosening as I continue to, to confess to God, confess to somebody else and pray for that person. Jealousy just lo continues to lose its grip. 
And then another thing that I try to do is I try to celebrate that person. I found that celebrating people keeps me from being critical of people. So when I celebrate the great things that God is doing in them and for them, that just helps me personally in so many ways. And I don't mean like faking stuff. I don't mean like making something up and being like, oh, good for you kind of a thing and saying it you know, out of the side of your mouth and not really meaning it. I, I mean like really celebrating them. If you really want to mess with somebody, celebrate them to your face, to their face, and then celebrate them behind their back. You ever celebrated somebody behind their back? I mean, we talk trash about people behind their back, but have you ever celebrated somebody behind their back? Like go behind somebody's back and say, man, they're awesome. They're doing so great. God has done such great things in their lives. I'm so happy for them. And then somebody else will share that back to that person. Guess what's going to happen to your relationship? It'll it'll be stronger. And guess what will happen in your life? Jealousy will continue to loosen its grip on you. And I think the more that we do that stuff, the the more that we confess to God, confess to other people, pray for people we're jealous of, celebrate them, I think jealousy has less and less control over our lives. Now, here's another way that our story can be like Herod's story. Herod was so jealous of Jesus and he was fearful that Jesus was going to take his throne. So he's worried, this little baby Jesus is going to grow up and he's going to take my throne. He's going to kick me out of the kingdom and I'm not going to have the kingdom that I have. And he didn't know that Jesus had no interest in his throne. He had no interest in being an earthly king because he was an eternal king. He didn't need Herod's little kingdom. And yet Herod didn't recognize that. And so he said, I'm not going to share my throne. So this stool is going to represent the throne of our lives. And we can be like Herod in this way. And we can say, God, I don't want you to have control over my life or complete control over my life. And this can happen for Christ followers and people who are not Christ followers. So if you're not a Christ follower, maybe the reason you aren't a Christ follower is you're fearful of inviting Jesus to be the Lord of your life. The Lord means, oh, he's in control. And maybe you don't want to give up the throne of your life to a a God who's going to then tell you how to live. And you say, well, I don't want that. I want him to be in control of my life. And maybe that's kept you uh, from inviting Jesus into your life. Or maybe you're a Christ follower and you've invited Jesus to be your savior. Thank you for saving me for all of eternity. That's fantastic. But I'm not so sure I want you to be Lord of my entire life. And so sometimes we Christ followers do this really cool negotiating thing with God. We say, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to let you have half of my throne. So I get 50%, you get 50%. You can lead in some ways. I'll lead in other ways. It's awesome. And then sometimes we're super generous and we go, God, here's the deal. I'll give you 80%. 80% of, of the throne of my life, you can rule and reign in all those areas, but 20% I'm going to keep to myself. Maybe there's a relationship I'm in. I know it doesn't really honor you, but I'm just going to hold on to that one. Um, maybe there's a, a habit that I'm involved in. I know you don't really like that habit, but you know, it kind of helps me cope with life. And you know, I just kind of like that. So I'm just going to maintain control over that. Or maybe there's just a 20% we say, I do not want you to have control over, so I'm just going to hold on to it. But I think it's a great deal, 80-20. You got 80%. This is awesome. So rule and reign over there. 
Here's the thing. When we negotiate with God like this, what ends up happening is we lose ground with him. We eventually give up ground. I have another friend who I saw that in his life. About 20 years ago, he put his faith in Jesus and it was like this supernatural thing. He was one of those guys that you would go, that guy, he, he believes in Jesus? Uh-uh, that, that's never gonna happen. Well, he put his faith in Jesus. It was a radical thing. And a few years later, God came along and put his finger on something that he wanted to address in that guy's life. And he said, I want you to give me control over that. And he said, no, I'm not gonna. He said, God, I think we got a great deal. I've given you 80% of my life, but um, I'm not gonna give you the 20%. In this one area, I'm gonna maintain control. What I've watched over the past 16 years is he's taken more and more control over his life. And now he controls about 80% of his life. God's got about 20, still in his life. And my friend wonders on a constant basis, why am I so far from God? Like, why, like, why do I just feel this distance from him? I just, just can't get really any traction in my relationship with him. And the answer is because you kept saying no to him. There was one area you said you can't have. And when we say you can't have control over this, we lose ground in other areas. Now, it's easy for me to sit here and talk about my friend, but the reality is that can happen for all of us. That can happen for me, and it can happen for you. So is there any area of your life where you've told God, nope, you cannot be Lord of that area? Is there any part of your life that God's saying, like, I want to be Lord of all of your life, not just part of your life? Here's the thing. Jesus is not interested in your throne or your kingdom. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's an eternal king. What he's interested in is your heart. He's after your heart. He wants us to lead our kingdoms, our small little kingdoms here in a way that will bring honor and glory to him. And he knows that we'll do that when he knows that he has our hearts. So does Jesus have all of your heart? Half of your heart? 80% of your heart? 95% of your heart? Jesus isn't happy with 95%. He wants all of it. He wants 100% of our hearts. So is there any part of your life that you've told God, nope, you can't have that? If so, will you deal with it? Will you address that issue today? As we close, our worship team's gonna come out and sing a song called More. And it's a, a great song that reminds me of what the apostle, uh, well, not the apostle, John the Baptist said in John 3.30. He said, uh, Jesus must increase in my life. There must be more and more of him and less and less of me. So for us to deal with issues in our lives like jealousy or fear, things that pull us away from other people, things that pull us away from our relationship with God, we all need more and more of Jesus and less and less of us. So as we sing today, I encourage you to talk to God about these issues we've addressed. Do you have a jealousy issue? Address that today. Do you have a fear issue that God's gonna wanna lead more of your life than you want him to have? Talk to God about that today. And always remember that if we don't give God more and more control, we end up losing ground overall.
and our relationship with him. We end up pushing him out of our lives altogether. And God doesn't want that to happen. So would you stand with me? And let's pray and sing. So Lord, it's amazing to me to to read through the Christmas story again with that filter of, of the emotions that people experienced. And Lord, as we see, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of jealousy in the Christmas story. And where we don't want to be like Herod, yet we can be like Herod. We can allow jealousy of someone else cause us to kill that relationship. Or we can allow fear of you, fear that you're going to come in and ask for complete control over our lives. And Lord, we don't always want to give you complete control. Sometimes we want to give you partial control, but not complete control. And sometimes there's an area of our lives that we need to surrender to you and we fight you over that. Yet God, you're not interested in, in our little kingdoms. You're interested in our hearts. You want us to give you all of our hearts so that we will rule and reign in our little worlds in a way that brings great honor and glory to you. So Lord, for anybody dealing with a jealousy issue today, I pray that they would get serious about it. I pray they'd confess that to you, confess that to someone else, would pray for that person they're jealous of and learn how to celebrate the things that you're doing in that person's life. And Lord, for any of us who are battling right now control over the throne of our lives with you, Lord, I pray that we would give you more and more of who we are, more and more of our hearts. And Lord, may may there be more and more of you and less and less of us. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray this. Amen.